Um, my name is Josh Patterson, and uh, it's really, truly an honor to be here with you. I serve as one of the pastors at the Village Church, which, as you know, we are family. If you don't know, ask around. It's a great story. Um, uh, it, it truly is a delight for me to be here. It's a delight for me to share this opportunity with Bleeker. Uh, as we have served so long together, and uh, I know that on behalf of both of us and the Village Church and, and all that there is, uh, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity and for the invitation to be here. Um, we're truly honored. I want to tell you just a quick story. Earlier this summer, I had the opportunity to go to New York for a ministry uh, event, and Natalie was able to come with me. Natalie's my wife, and uh, she doesn't always get to go with me on these types of things, but this particular instance she did. And uh, we decided while we're going to be there, let's see if we can uh, catch a show of some sort, uh, something on Broadway, which we enjoy. And so we did. Uh, and when we were looking up something to, to go see or something to do, one caught our attention and we pursued it. Uh, it is a new play that just launched, not a musical, but a play, To Kill a Mockingbird. And perhaps you've read the book, To Kill a Mockingbird, or you were assigned the book and didn't read the book uh, when you were in high school, but uh, in all likelihood, you are aware of this classic American novel by Harper Lee. Well, Aaron Sorkin, uh, who of newsroom fame and West Wing fame and things like that, actually took the book, adapted it, and wrote the play, and uh, cast Jeff Daniels as Atticus Finch. And so uh, we were super excited to go and to see it. And it wasn't 15 minutes in, 20 minutes in, before we realized, man, this is awesome. And at the end of the first act, we were blown away. By the end of the play, as we stood up with this rousing, standing ovation, uh, with tears in our eyes, not a dry eye in the theater, we knew that we had just witnessed something awesome. And we were walking back to the hotel, and, and it sounds a little bit strange, but we were saying, you know, this is a new cast, it's the new season, it just launched, and we felt like we were caught up in something special. And then the next day, uh, we, we go to get brunch, and we were taking the subway back down, and Natalie uh, kind of bumps my arm and says, hey, that, that's, uh, that's Dill right there. If you remember the characters from, from the book, uh, you have Atticus, who's a widower, who has two kids, Jim and Scout. Jim's the boy, Scout's the girl. And there's another boy that comes in town just for the summer, and his name's Dill, and the three of them kind of... Uh, narrate in some sense this play or this story for us. And so lo and behold, Dill is on, is on the subway. So I thought, well, this is great. This is a great opportunity for us to get to know one another. So I stood up and I, I uh, walked over to him just a couple feet away and I said, excuse me, is your name Gideon? He said, it is. And I said, I just want you to know that last night my wife and I were at the play and uh, man, it was fantastic. It was powerful and poignant and meaningful. And we just wanted to tell you thank you. So, well, that means a lot. Thanks a lot for saying that. And I said, I also just want to say that you're clearly using the gifts that the Lord's given you in a really profound way. And that's just always neat for me to see. And he said, well, thanks. What's your name? So we strike up this conversation. It was actually a normal conversation because I, I didn't pull out my phone and try to do anything like this. It was just, let me see if I can just say some things to you. And we had this conversation. At the end of it, I asked him. I said, so you have Sorkin who writes it, you've got Daniels who's, who's starring in it, all of you have been nominated for Tony's. Uh, in fact, the, the lady who plays Scout, she won it for the best actress. Like, do you have this sense that you're caught up in something special here? And he said, every time I get on this train and take it down to 42nd Street, I start getting this sense of anticipation again because we do know that we're caught up in something special. I thought, what a gift. 
Like what a gift that in the moment you see it. That it isn't something that, you know, 10, 15 years down the road, uh, the cast looks back or he looks back and he says, golly, that was amazing. I wish I would have experienced the amazingness of it then, but I can only see it in the rears. No, he was experiencing it now. And my guess is that over the years, his gratitude for this season will only increase. And so my question for you, citizens, this morning is this. Do you recognize that you're caught up in something special? As a church, do you recognize that you are actually caught up in a movement of the Spirit of God? I heard one yeah, okay, and it was Jamin, all right? So I'm going to ask a non-rhetorical, participatory question to you again. Do you believe that you are caught up in something special here? Yes. Do you believe that this is significant and, 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 and a poignant and powerful time in the life of your church and that God Almighty is at work in your midst through the ups and through the downs, through the pain and through the mountaintops? Do you know that when the Lord moves, anytime he moves, it's special, it's significant, it's powerful, it's meaningful, and that you and I in this season, in the life of this church, if we lose sight of what God is doing right now, not as you look back or not as you look ahead, but as you look around, do you know that you're caught up in something? Well, I want to spend some time in Psalm 103 this morning. Psalm 103. It's written by King David. It's a Thanksgiving psalm. David writes this psalm in hopes that our hearts would be oriented around God's goodness, his faithfulness. There's going to be a refrain through this psalm where David is calling us to not forget or to say it a different way, to remember. And what I hope for our time together this morning is that you and I would come together in this gathering and that we would remember together. So I'm going to just read the first five verses, and that's where we're going to camp out. Psalm 103, verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pits, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. David starts out with praise and adoration where he says, bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. So as David blesses, he uses the covenant-keeping name of God. Bless Yahweh, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. So what he's saying is there's this sense of all that I'm about to say, David, as he writes this, that it leads me to a place of overflow. It leads me to a place of praise. It leads me to a place of adoration. It leads me to a place where I am proclaiming that you are worthy of blessing and honor and glory and power. And it will take all that I have to muster up all that is within me to try to capture just how good you are to me just how good you have been to us. 
Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, all that is within me. Bless his holy name. And then he says this, do not forget his benefits. Remember, church, remember. And the way that this is going to feel, it's going to feel like David is going to write the first one out and this wave is going to crash over. And if we stopped after the first one, it would be enough. But then it just keeps going. And so it, it may feel like that time if you've been on a beach where a wave kind of comes in and knocks you off your balance a little bit. You feel a little bit off kilter and yet then another one comes and then another one comes. David here is trying to capture just how good the Lord is to his people. And he says, don't you forget. Don't you forget his benefits. The first one that he says is this, that he forgives all your iniquity. Now, I'm going to say that again, and when I say it, my hope is that you will respond to it as if you haven't heard it 1,000 times. I'm going to say it again in hopes that you truly haven't forgot what it's like to be forgiven, because I know that this room is filled with people who can remember what it was like to be stuck in your sins what it was like to be shackled in shame. And what David is saying here is that God Almighty forgives you for all your iniquity. Amen? Amen? Amen. He forgives all of it, past, present, future. And he forgives fully, freely, and forever. And so the question is, church, citizens, have we forgotten? Has this story become so routine, so rhythmic, so everyday, so I grew up with it, so I've heard this so many times that it's just lost its punch, that it's just lost its power, that I've almost become inoculated to the beautiful truth that I stand here, we sit here today, forgiven people. You remember what it was like? You remember what it was like to be stuck in your sin? Like some of you remember. You remember what it was like to feel dirty, to feel filthy, to feel like you had no way out. You remember what it was like to be imprisoned in this sinful life that you couldn't maneuver out of. You remember what it was like to be under a curse. You remember what it was like to be orphaned and away and a stranger and an enemy of God. You remember what it was like for him to not know you and you to not know him. Do you remember what it was like to be stuck in your sin and then to hear the truth? You are forgiven. In Christ, he forgives all of your iniquity. Praise his name. All of it. So I stand here, an imperfect man, covered by the perfect blood of God's perfect son. What good news. Like this is not news that you and I can ever get over, which this news means this, that all of my iniquity, all of your iniquity is forgiven. And when this was written, all of our iniquities were future iniquities, which means this, no matter where you find yourself today, you have forgiveness today and tomorrow. Which means the news for this church, as sin has come in and frustrated and alarmed and caused hurt and pain, knowing this, God is a God who forgives and redeems. It's great news. All of it, it's great news. And then he goes on. 
Not only does he forgive all of your iniquity, but he heals all of your diseases. So commentators on this particular verse, uh, they split a little bit. Some would say here what God is talking about uh, is physical healing, that God actually heals you physically. And then some commentators say, actually, this is more a spiritual healing. My lean is over here towards the spiritual healing, but I don't want to lose sight of the physical healing. Let me tell you a story. Probably my second year in, in ministry at the village, I have been uh, on staff at the Village Church for 15 years. When I started, uh, I was 26. My wife uh, was 23. We were young. Uh, she looks the same. I look like this. And um, I can remember getting a call. And uh, the call was from a member who said, uh, my uncle is, uh, is not doing well. He has slipped into a coma. He's not a believer. And, um, and would you come and pray? Uh, we're at this particular hospital. Would you come and pray um, that the Lord would comfort us and, and do a profound work? And so I get in the car with another <clears throat> staff member at the time, if you remember, a guy named Paul Mathis. And so Paul was in the car with me. And we're driving there, and Paul says this, um, you know, what if the Lord would give one of us the faith to believe uh, that he'll heal this man? And I thought, brother, I hope it's you, right? Um, it's like I want to believe. I want to want to believe. You ever been there? You ever been where it's just candidly, it's like, I do believe, but I, you're going to have to help me believe to believe to believe, right? So we drive to the hospital, we get there, and, and I'm thinking the way it's going to go is we're going to offer a ministry of presence, which is powerful and meaningful and significant, and that we will comfort with the word and that we will share hopes and offer continuing care for whatever may transpire. We get there, we pray. Paul prays something similar to what he shared with me in the car. Lord, would you give one of us faith to believe this? And I'm thinking, Lord, yes, give one of us faith to believe this. We pray, we leave. Later that night, this member calls and she says this. Um, you're never going to believe this, but my uncle, he woke up. And it was amazing. The family had the opportunity to rejoice, and we're rejoicing because we thought that we had lost him. And so it gave us the chance to say some things to him that we thought we wouldn't have a chance to say, a chance to share, maybe in his last days, in his last moments. And so we were afforded that opportunity, but then we were also afforded the opportunity to share the gospel with him. We had done it a thousand times before, and he had always rejected it, except today he received it. And he believed. And then she said, shortly after it, he slipped back into the coma and passed on to glory. Praise the Lord, right? That's incredible. Praise his name. And so for me, as a young pastor, when I read this, that he heals all of your diseases, it was as if the Lord was saying this, don't you dare lose sight of this or this. You hold both of these realities in tension because sometimes he will heal diseases and he definitely spiritually heals and you have to remember both. Don't forget, citizens, that he is a God who is able. He is a God who cares. And we could spend time together today recounting God's faithfulness as he has heard your prayers, as he has healed your bodies, and as he has healed your hearts and as he continues to offer his healing to you through the ministry of his people, by means of his spirit, even now. Don't forget his benefits. And then it goes on. 
Like if it just stopped there, if it just stopped with you are forgiven and I will heal you, is that not enough? Is that not enough for David to stop and say, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, all that was within me, bless his holy name. And yet he says, don't you forget that he redeems your life from the pit. Do you remember what it was like to be in the pit? Hello. Do you remember what it was like to be in the pit? Yes. I can remember life in the pit. I remember what it was like to be stuck. I can remember what it smelled like. I can remember how frustrating it is to not know how to get out. The pit is awful. The pit is lonely. The pit is frustrating. I can remember. I can remember what it was like. I think about my wife. It's a very different story than me. Natalie came to faith when she was six. She hardly remembers the pit. Not in the way that I remember it. Um, when I started dating Natalie, the first year of our dating, she went to Baylor, I went to A&M, and <clears throat> whoop. Uh, I got more response for A&M than when I said he redeems your life from the pit, okay? I just, I just want that to be noted, okay? He redeems your life from the pit. Amen. Okay. So Natalie, our first year of dating, uh, her parents won Parents of the Year at Baylor University, okay? That's a thing, apparently. <clears throat> I, uh, I was not aware that this was even something you could vie for. Okay, her parents won it. The trophy is in their home to this day, 1998 Parents of the Year. It's there, I've seen it. There was no such trophy in my home. My parents did the best that they could. They split up when I was in middle school. And when they split up, everybody went their own way to try to make it work. You know what I mean? Um, there, there's a quote that I heard that every divorce is the death of a small civilization. Like this little face is just gone. It had disintegrated. And as we were working and managing and struggling to try to figure out how to move forward, um, the, the path that I took uh, was a path of destruction. It was a path of despair. It was a path of loneliness. It was a path that involved drugs and alcohol and the whole thing that that lifestyle brings. It was a path that led me to rehab in ninth grade, military school in 11th grade, kicked out of the school district in 11th grade, repeating my 11th grade year. All of this taking place right here in Plano, Texas, where I grew up. I can remember what life is like in the pit. I can remember as a 19-year-old waking up in a hospital room because the night before a fight had gone bad and my jaw had been broken in two different places and sitting there with my jaw wired shut and my dad sitting next to me in this hospital room and I'm thinking, I don't know how to get out. I felt frustrated, I felt angry, I felt confused and I felt hopeless. Life in the pit. And the most frustrating thing about being in that pit is I knew that I wanted out and I had no idea how to get out. 
It was like a straitjacket was on me. And the more that I moved, the more tangled I felt, the more frustrated I was. I had this latent anger, this latent frustration that was just kind of um, not directed necessarily at any one person, but just on the whole situation called life. I was in the pit. Well, then my wife, who I didn't know at the time, comes to faith at six. God had spared her from so much life in the pit. And yet she found herself in a different pit, a pit of religious self-righteousness, which is no less wretched than the pit that I was in. And you as a church have to know whether you're stuck in a pit of unrighteousness or a pit of self-righteousness, you're stuck in a pit and that God and God alone steps in and redeems your life from the pit, Citizens Church. You need to remember this and not forget this as some of our brothers and sisters find themselves in a pit right now. You have to know, you have to believe, you have to prayerfully hope and trust God redeems from the pit, amen? This is what he does. This is what he has done. This is what he is doing. And this is what he will do. What great news it is for you and for me to know on a morning like this that we serve a God who pulls us up, Psalm 40, out of the muck and the mire and sets our feet upon a rock, stable, solid ground, putting a new song in our mouth, a song of praise to our God. He redeems. And then it goes on. David says that he crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Get this, you're in the pit. You get pulled out, he washes you, he cleanses you, he clothes you anew. And then it's not as if he says, scurry on, go about now. He actually says, I want to draw you in. I, I want to love you and know you. I am crowning your life with steadfast love and mercy. I am naming you my daughter, my son. You are no longer an orphan. You're a child. You're no longer a slave. You are family. He's crowning you with steadfast love and mercy. And this steadfast love and mercy, this type of holy, righteous, pure love can actually make us feel uncomfortable. It's just too good. It's just too right. It feels so undeserving, which it is. And so we're not quite sure what to do with it. And maybe I'm projecting on you, but I can tell you that at times it makes me feel uncomfortable. It's just so good. And I know that I'm just so not. And he says to me, through his word, through his people, over and over again as we remember together, you are my son. You are my son, crowned with steadfast love and mercy. Your worst day, citizens, the worst day of your life, the crown over your head is steadfast love and mercy. The worst day in the life of the Christian is called resurrection. Your most awful day, 
steadfast love and mercy. He has you. He sees you. He knows you. He loves you. He is not pushing you out. He is drawing you in as his child. It's good. And then David says, don't forget that he satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles in verse 5. He satisfies you with good. Think about that. You, you know what it's like to be unsatisfied or dissatisfied and then to be satisfied. You, you know what it's like to be thirsty and then to have a drink. You know what it's like to be hungry and then to have a meal. You know what it's like to be anxious and to be comforted. You know what it's like to be fatigued and tired and to find rest. You know what it's like to be lonely and to find a friend. You know what it's like to be satisfied. And what David is saying is that God Almighty satisfies you with good. With good. Think about the thousand different things that you and I chase for satisfaction only to find empty well after dry well after empty well after dissatisfying pursuit. You know that. That is life in Plano. I grew up in this area. I understand these pursuits and I know just like you do how fruitless they are. And the promise here is that God Almighty will satisfy you with what is good. And if he would give us, as Moses says in Psalm chapter 90, 70, maybe 80 years, and if, like Moses says in Psalm 90, verse 12, if God would teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom, I know that I know that I know that at the end of my life, the things that truly matter, the things that I desperately want, the things that I want to be true about me, that my sins are forgiven that he has healed me, that he has redeemed my life from the pit and he has crowned me with steadfast love and mercy. These are the most valuable things that life has to offer. This is life, to know the God that does this in you. This is life, which is why David says, this is what actually satisfies. This is what it means to be satisfied with that which is good. And then he says, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. So what he's talking about here is that the eagle's feathers, they molt off or they shed off. As the feathers get fatigued and tired and battered and war-torn, as they've kind of passed through the weathers of life, the storms of life, as seasons of suffering have come, that these feathers fade off, they molt off, they shed off, and what comes forward is a new brilliance, a new shine, a new strength, a new vigor, renewal, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. So as you weather storms, as you walk through trials and seasons of suffering as a church, as your feathers begin to show the patterns of wear and tear and struggle, as you persist and abide and stay and remain in Christ, as he stays and remains and abides in you through his spirit, what happens is there's a molting of the feather and a new brilliance comes through, a new shine comes through, a new strength 
comes through. A new season of life demonstrates that God actually renews his people, that he changes us. I think about 2 Corinthians 5. The old is passing away, and behold, all things are becoming new in him. Don't you forget this, citizens. For my 40th birthday, and I'll close with this, it was a couple years ago. Natalie had set this day up, and it was a day that I, I didn't know what it entailed. Um, she just told me it was a surprise, and don't try to figure it out. Um, so she had gotten the kids taken care of for the whole day, and for how long, I didn't know. So I wondered, are, are we hopping on a plane? Are we going somewhere? Is this, what, what adventure do you have in store? Well, she picks me up. <clears throat> uh, she didn't pick me up. We lived together. Um, <laughs> so we left, and... Um, and she was quiet. And she just quietly drove as I could feel anxiety rising in my heart, candidly. And she started driving east. She started driving towards Plano. And she exited off of George Bush onto Custer. She went north on Custer, took a right on Carmel. She took a right, or she took a left on Sandpiper, if you know where I am. And she took a left on Edgewater. And she took me down to 1725 Edgewater, which is the house that I grew up in. And she just parked by the curb, and I thought, I don't know how I feel about this. There's a ton of memories in that house. Um, some great ones and some really hard ones. And so she just handed me about five or six letters. And um, I opened them. There were letters from my parents from my brother, from my childhood best friend. And as I read through uh, maybe the first two or three lines of the first letter, I was emotionally exhausted. I was done. Uh, I was a basket case. Uh, I was crying my way through it and thinking, God, I wish we had caught a flight somewhere, right? <laughs> like that's what I thought I wanted. And yet the Lord knew what I needed. And I sat there and read letter after letter after letter, story after story. Then she drove to another house here in Plano. It's actually the house of one of your members. She was here at the Nine. It was a house that I came to faith in. You see, when I was a, that guy in the hospital room, I was stuck and frustrated and angry with no hope and no way out. A friend of mine invited me to a Bible study, which I thought was weird. Uh, guys like me didn't go to Bible studies, right? I see you nodding. Okay, I'm with you. It felt strange. And what felt stranger about it is when he said, hey, uh, this Bible study is at a guy, it's at Tom Bailey's house. And I thought, oh, man. See, because Tom, when I was in eighth grade, somebody invited me to a church camp, which is another weird thing. And I went to this church camp. I had been there an hour when I got caught smoking cigarettes in my dorm room. And then they confiscated all my luggage and took it and found all the alcohol that I had brought to church camp. And then the youth pastor, who oversaw that camp, who's now my father-in-law, which is a different story for a different time, <laughs> <clears throat> said, um, if this camp isn't for guys like this, then I don't know why we're doing camp, which is amazing. And he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask Tom Bailey to spend the week with him. So here I am five years later showing up at Tom Bailey's house with my mouth wired shut from a broken jaw and thinking, 
I'm embarrassed to walk in. Like, am, am I going to be met with kind of the, the sense of, I told you so? Or I figured you would turn out like this. Um, kind of those shameful looks like, wow, what a waste. But that's not how I was met. You see, because these were people that hadn't forgotten the benefits of the Lord. And they believed and they opened their home because they wanted to preach and proclaim and teach and share the love of Christ because they believed that God redeemed lives from the pit. And so I sat in the back as I was received with gospel hospitality and warmth and love, and the gospel was shared. And as the gospel was shared, I sat there as the other students left for the night, and I sat there with Tom, and Tom walked me through what it meant to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. My life has never been the same since that night in August of 1996. Tom has passed and is now with the Lord. And Brenda, who you know is Brenda Holmes, wrote me a letter and I read it in front of her house. And then I went to another house. And then I went to another house. And then I went to the village church. Not the one you know of now, but like Highland Village First Baptist Church. And I got letters. I got letters from you. I got letters from other friends and family, those who believed in me and saw in me and reminded me and lifted up my arms for what God has done. And the letters ended as I went to the first house where Natalie and I uh, came to the village in, where Lily was born in and Luke was born in. And I got letters from Luke and from Lily sharing things for me, lifting me up, encouraging me in the Lord as best they can as an 11-year-old and a 10-year-old or an 8-year-old boy. Then we moved to another house. I got two more letters from two little kids. God is faithful. So that day, that journey, that exercise that Natalie brought me through was exhausting and incredible. And what a reminder that God lifts up our arms. He sustains us when we're tired and when we're weak. He sees us, he has us, that God was at work in my life before I ever knew he was a reality. God was at work in my life years before my heart ever longed for him, that God has sustained me through the ups and through the downs, that he redeems my life from the pit, that he sees me as a son, he values me, he loves me, and that little exercise demonstrated to me over and over and over and over again, don't you dare forget. Don't you forget my benefits. Don't you forget that I see you, that I love you, and that I have you. And if I could just encourage you this morning, citizens, that there are some of you in here this morning where you feel like you're stuck in a pit. You feel it. There are some of you in here this morning who your sins actually have never been forgiven because you've not placed your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. There are some of you who find yourself in a pit, whether unrighteousness or self-righteousness, you're stuck in it. And I'm gonna ask you a question. If your life has been redeemed from the pit, would you raise your hand for me this morning? I just want you to look around if you feel stuck in a pit right now so that you know that you know that you know that one, you're in great company and two, there is hope for you even right now and that God Almighty just orchestrated graciously in your life another reminder, another clarion call to you that he sees you, he loves you and he can redeem your life from the pit. Here's my charge, 30 seconds, and I'm done.
we have spent time together this morning remembering. My hope is as you get in your car and go to wherever you go right after this, that you would recount together. It may make you feel a little bit uncomfortable. It may not be something that you do all of the time. That's okay. But my charge to you is that your conversation would go something like this. I don't want to forget how good God has been to me in fill in the blank. I can remember what it was like here and fill in the blank. I want you to recount one to another, father to son, father to daughter, husband to wife, wife to husband, friend to friend, roommate to roommate, that you would recount one to another the goodness of the Lord. Why? So that we would remember together and not forget his benefits. He's good, he's gracious, he's loving, and he's merciful. And Citizens Church, he has you caught up in something special. Let's pray. Father, we love you, we bless you, we thank you. Truly, Lord, how humbling it is to know how you see us, how you love us, that you won't forsake your people, that you've made a way for us all in Christ, that you, oh God, you are truly making all things new. And I pray, I pray it's a good reminder for the men and women, the students who are in here, young and old, that you're a God who redeems from the pit of unrighteousness. You're a God who redeems from the pit of self-righteousness. You're a God who is simply able and that you are good, gracious, merciful, and loving. I pray the richest blessing possible over my brothers and sisters here at Citizens. Would you be with them, uphold them, and sustain them? In Christ's name, amen.